Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. If you've been following the podcast over the past couple of weeks, you'll note that there's a theme, and that theme has been religious extremism. Of course, in a podcast about terrorism, when we think about the term religious extremism, our mind goes immediately to groups like Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, the Taliban, etc., which would all be examples of what is known as Islamist extremism, or sometimes Islamic extremism, i.e. terrorist groups that use Islam to justify the use of violence, justify killing people, justify carrying out attacks. We have looked, however, in the past few podcasts, at different types of religion that have been used to justify terrorism. There was the podcast, for example, on Hindu terrorism. We had a podcast on Buddhist terrorism, which many people, as I noted at the outset, may find a very strange term. How can Buddhists, who are the most peaceful people on earth, be actually extremists? And when in fact they can, in places like Myanmar and Sri Lanka. Much earlier, we had a podcast on Sikh extremism. Speaking as a Canadian, of course, Sikh extremism is one of these types of terrorism that we're most familiar with, given that the single largest terrorist attack in history prior to 9-11 was one planned and carried out by Sikhs living in Canada against an Air India flight in July of 1985. In keeping then with this theme, I want to turn to another form of extremism today, and that is Jewish extremism. And I imagine for some of my listeners, this might strike them as equally as odd as the term Buddhist extremism. Not so much because they can't countenance the possibility of people using Judaism to justify violence, but rather from the perspective that if we think upon Judaism, think of the world's Jews, we would normally associate them with the victims of terrorism. And there's no question that this is true. A lot of talk these days about the rise or re-rise or whatever you want to call it of anti-Semitism. We've had attacks on, on mosques in Pittsburgh. We've had attacks on Jews around the world. In places, parts of Europe, for example, there are real, real concerns that neo-Nazi groups, far-right groups, Islamist extremist groups, in some cases Christian extremists, and I'll get to that in, in the next podcast, are taking out their anger against Jews. And of course, this is something which has been happening for centuries. Anti-Semitism is a very, very old trope. It dates back to early parts of the first millennium. We certainly saw pogroms against Jewish communities around the world in the 19th century, leading up, of course, to the Holocaust during World War II. So normally, when we talk about Judaism or Jews and terrorism, we associate the term with, or rather, we associate them as victims and not as the perpetrators of violence. But what I want, what I hope to show to you today, demonstrate, is in fact that there is a small number of people who profess to be Jews who are actually quite violent in nature. And the vast majority of these people live in the modern state of Israel. I don't want to get into an argument about the state of Israel. I'll simply note as an editorial aside that I'm dismayed by the fact that whenever people are critical of Israel as a state for its policies, for its actions, it is the tendency of some people to immediately conflate the criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism or the criticism of Zionism, the, this notion of uh, a political aspect to Judaism with anti-Semitism. I take personal offense to that. I think that any state should be subject to criticism where warranted, that Israel is not any different in that regard, and that any criticism or rebuke for Israel should not 
be reduced to, oh, that's just another form of anti-Semitism. I recall a year or so ago writing something online about an article I'd read and I drew criticism um, to Israel and the person who wrote the article wrote back with one simple line, isn't it amazing how all the old anti-Semites come out when Israel's being discussed? And I dismissed the remark because I wasn't being anti-Semitic, I was being critical of Israel. Anyhow, that's as an aside. When it comes to Jewish extremism, the vast majority of people who practice uh, violence in the name of Judaism live in the modern state of Israel. And a lot of their attention or use of violence is directed against what we call the occupied territories, what some in Israel would call the ancient Jewish provinces of Judea and Samaria. This, of course, is a, a long-standing problem that's been going on since the creation of Israel. It's not going away anytime soon. I mean the creation of an independent Palestine under Palestinian government. So what we're seeing happening is a lot of acts of violence carried out in the West Bank, not Gaza, because Gaza is controlled by Hamas, which is a terrorist group, but in the West Bank by people that I think has to have to be referred to as terrorists and more narrowly have to be referred to as Jewish terrorists because what they're doing is in keeping with what they think Judaism is all about. And one of the important aspects of this that I noted in studying the phenomenon of Jewish terrorism for the chapter on that very matter in my upcoming book, When Religion Kills, to be published by Lynn Rainer this fall, was this fascinating concept of the Amalekites. This is a term that dates back to the Old Testament. Uh, whether or not they actually existed or not is, is, is interesting, but they do, they are portrayed in the Torah, in the Old Testament, as the enemies of, of Judaism. They're seen as people that uh, do not deserve liberty, people that uh, do not value life, etc., etc. And the term Amalekite uh, is being used today. Uh, Iran is often referred to it as a Amalekite regime. Uh, Hamas, which is a terrorist group, is referred to Amalekite in the sense that they want to destroy Israel, and that certainly is true in the sense of Hamas. But it gets a little bit dangerous when they start referring to those who are against certain Israeli policies. So, for example, I'm sure you've heard of the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions campaign, which is, seeks to punish Israel for its actions in the occupied territories. It's being construed as an Amalekite movement. And the scary part about this is that for some people, the Amalekites have to be destroyed. They have to be conquered. So if you start referring to people in a legitimate protest movement, whatever you think about the BDS movement is your, your business, that they in fact have to be killed, then you're entering into the realm of, of extremism. And I would argue you're entering into the realm of religious, i.e. Jewish extremism. You know, there was an event back in 95, which I think is very famous in this regard. And while it didn't actually use the term Amalekite itself, it did refer to a sort of biblical justice for a leader of Israel who deserved to die because of his policies. I'm speaking, of course, of the assassination of then Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Uh, he was killed by a Jewish extremist called Yigal Amir. And what was fascinating to me was that there were rabbis, religious preachers, religious leaders in the Jewish community, who essentially said, maybe understatedly, maybe sort of sous-entendu, that Rabin deserved to die because he was prepared to give away part of the land of Israel to another power, i.e., the Palestinians. Remember back in 95, a lot of talk about uh, dividing the land in the West Bank, giving so much to the Palestinians for an independent state. 
And some of these rabbis use the term, which in Hebrew is a din rodef, which essentially gives any Jew a religious license to kill another Jew, i.e. someone who poses a threat to the state of Israel. It resulted in the assassination of Rabin. And I know that the assassin has been celebrated by Jewish extremists for doing the right thing. Getting rid of one of, Jew, of Jew, uh, Jew, uh, Judaism's enemies, Israel's enemies, and the person of uh, Mr. Rabin. So here's an example of someone using ancient religious law to justify the assassination of a leader. We're seeing uh, historically that there, in fact, there was a Jewish extremist group called the Irgun. This was before the creation of Israel. Interestingly, uh, the Irgun was part was behind a massive terrorist attack in 1946 at the King David Hotel in Jerusalem that killed 91 people. And this was a supposedly in retaliation for British policy and the then Palestine mandate. Fascinating fun fact is that one of the leaders of the Yergun was Menachem Begin, who became the Prime Minister of Israel in 1977. So this notion that we had Jewish terrorist groups has been around for, for quite some time. question that sometimes people are trying to answer is, what, what do you do with Zionism? Well, Zionism is a political movement. Uh, is Zionism an extremist movement? Well, not necessarily. There are certainly Zionists who are, I guess you'd call them quietists. They are behind a political program to advance the interests of Israel. But there's no question that, in fact, there are Zionist extremists who have, in fact, carried out acts of terrorism in the West Bank. When we're talking about Jewish extremism, we also have to talk about the ultra-Orthodox. Now, I'm not equating them with extremism per se, but there certainly are those that take it to the next step, i.e. they are uh, very fundamentalist. That's why they're called ultra-Orthodox. They call themselves the Haredim, those who fear God. And when you look at the Haredim in terms of their, their, their religious practices, their social practices, I can't help but think a lot of this is very similar to Salafism in Islam. Salafism being a very orthodox, fundamentalist strain of Islam, which is very conservative in nature, which has a lot, a lot of rules about what you can and cannot do. Again, Salafism itself is certainly not terrorist in nature, although we do talk about Salafist extremists. We talk about Salafist terrorists who happen to have taken their very fundamental orthodox view of the faith to the nth degree and to justify the use of violence by carrying out acts of terrorism. What about terrorism itself? Acts of terrorism that, that can be construed as being acts of Jewish terrorism. Well, again, as noted earlier, a lot of these terrorist attacks have taken place in the West Bank, and they a lot of them are carried out by so-called settlers. These are individuals who believe that the West Bank, in fact, is not the West Bank, it is the state of Israel despite the fact that it has not been recognized as such by any other government, although Donald Trump is making moves in that direction, and they will, they will not tolerate a non-Jewish presence in the territory because it's historically the land of Israel. You often find that these settler groups will establish outposts, illegal residences, illegal homes, essentially trying to establish facts on the ground to prevent the creation of an independent Palestinian state. And perhaps one of the most famous acts of terrorism carried out by one of these ultra-Orthodox settlers or Zionists, if you will, 
was that of uh, Bart Goldstein in February of 94. This is before the assassination of Rabin, when Bart Goldstein went into a mosque uh, at the Cave of the Patriarchs in Hebron, which is in the West Bank in the occupied territories, and he opened fire, killing 29 Muslims and injuring another, another 125 before he was beaten to death by other Moscowers. Interestingly, uh, on his gravestone, uh, it is said that he gave his life for the people of Israel, its Torah and land. And for many in the settler movement and the Jewish extremist movement, uh, Mr. Goldstein has in fact become a hero. He's the person who died for his faith, died protecting the state of Israel. More recently, we've had attacks by extremists in the West Bank. In October 2018, a bunch of settlers basically throwing stones caused a car uh, carrying a man and his wife to, to crash in the West Bank, uh, killing the women. The, in 2018, Shin Bet, which is the Israeli equivalent of CSIS, the security service, said that there, are thir- there were 13 instances of price tag attacks. These are attacks carried out. They're defined as vandalism and other hate crimes carried out by Jewish ultranationalists, supposedly in retaliation for Palestinian violence or Israeli government policies perceived as hostile to the settler movement. And amongst the targets of these so-called attacks have been mosques, churches, and any Israeli group that doesn't have doesn't hold to the same program that they do. People have been uh, convicted on charges of incitement to violence in the West Bank. There, in 2018, a very heinous case of three Jewish extremists who beat and burned alive uh, a West Bank teenager back in 2014. The attack itself was uh, described as strategic. And the judge noted in his sentencing that it emerged from a dark tunnel of racism, ignorance, and hate. In 2015, Jewish terrorists firebombed a Palestinian home in the West Bank, killing three, three, including a toddler. And during the trial, some of the supporters of the perpetrators uh, chanted, Where is Ali? Ali is the toddler. Ali's dead. And I'm sorry to put this in a podcast, but this is a direct quote. Ali is on the grill, uh, a very disgusting thing to say about the death of a toddler. Another interesting thing about uh, Jewish extremism in the West Bank is this notion about targeting archaeological digs. Some of the Har- uh, Haredim will actually uh, enter and uh, sabotage archaeological digs, claiming they're desecrating sacred burial rites. I think there's, a, there's another agenda behind this, and that's this notion that if archaeology turns up some facts that are, shall we say, uncomfortable for Jewish extremists, i.e. denoting a longer Palestinian presence in the area, it undermines their argument that this is the state of Israel given by God to the Jews in perpetuity. Another fascinating story that just came out, it is sort of developing right now, is this notion of establishing a subterranean pilgrimage road. This is in the city of Jerusalem, as you're well aware. Jerusalem is a controversial site. There's West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem. East Jerusalem is the sort of Palestinian part of the city. West Jerusalem is the Jewish part, although a lot of lands have been sold to Jewish settlers in East Jerusalem, again, establishing facts on the ground. And the U.S. ambassador to Israel has come out in favor of this tunnel, which apparently is supposed to have been indicative of a very old way of getting through Jerusalem in ancient uh, pre-Israel, 
But in fact, it is yet, I think, one more effort by Jewish fundamentalists, Jewish extremists, to undermine the possibility of a Palestinian state in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem. So to answer the question that I've been trying to answer the last couple of podcasts, is this truly Jewish extremism or is it some kind of ethno-nationalist terrorism? I think it's both. I think there certainly is a notion of statehood. After all, Israel is the official Jewish state since its inception in the post-World War II days. It's really hard to extricate Israel from the notion of Judaism, despite the fact there is a significant non-Jewish, i.e. mostly Muslim and lesser amounts of Christians population in the country. So if you're a very nationalist Israeli, does that not by extension mean you're a nationalist Jewish Israeli? I think it's a really good question to ask. I'm not accusing all people who are strong Israeli nationalists of being at the same time uh, Orthodox Jewish or Jewish extremist. I'm not drawing a one-to-one relationship between those two. But I do think it's hard to sometimes draw that line between ethno-nationalist pride leading to ethno-nationalist extremism, leading to ethno-nationalist violence, and the religious aspect of that, the religious overtones to that. So I think it is a fair thing to say that if you are part of the very extreme ultra-Orthodox community of the Haredim, if you are part of the extreme settler movement, and you do carry out acts of violence in the name of Israel, in the name of Judaism, in the name of Zionism, by, for example, bombing West Bank homes that belong to the Palestinians, by uprooting olive trees. I'm not equating the uprooting of olive trees with acts of terrorism that result in death. I wouldn't go that far. But this is part and parcel of a program to establish Jewish sovereignty over what is perceived as the totality of the Jewish state, from the Mediterranean to you know the, the, the borders with Jordan. So I think there's no other way of describing this, but as Jewish extremism, in the same way where you have major religious leaders, i.e. rabbis, justifying acts of violence, calling for acts of violence, referring to Old Testament texts, to the Torah, which of course is the backbone of Judaism, when they use these types of material to call for this violence of this level, how is this any different than what the Islamist extremists do by citing the Quran and the Hadith? How is this any different than monks in Myanmar, Buddhist monks in Myanmar, calling for violence against the Rohingya Muslims in Rakhine State. How is this any different than Sikh extremists using the Gurdwaras to incite people to, in, into acts of violence against the Indian government? How is this any different than Hindu extremists beating up Muslims, having them say, having them chant, Hail God Ram, and then killing them? These are all forms of individuals who use religion to justify serious acts of violence. And so I think if we're going to be intellectually consistent, uh, if we're going to be intellectually honest, we have to call it for what it is. Again, I'm not trying to conflate fundamentalism, in this case the ultra-Orthodox, the Haradim, with extremism. You can be ultra-Orthodox, you can be intolerant without necessarily being extreme, although I would argue the two are kind of hand-in-hand, but certainly you can be fundamentalist without being a terrorist, i.e. engage in or sponsor, promote, urge on acts of violence. But I do think that when actors of this ilk do go to the violent fringe, we have to call them Jewish extremists. That, to me, is being consistent. I'm sure there are listeners that will take offense with what I've said. Uh, People who, for example, uh, think I'm going too far 
uh, or being unfair to the state of Israel. There are many that have said that Israel is held to a different standard in other countries, and that is maybe true to a certain extent. But at the same time, as I noted in my introduction, any state that carries out policies that deserve to be criticized should be criticized. It shouldn't matter that you're the state of Israel, the state of Palestine, or Canada, or Samoa, or whatever. We have to have the right to engage in debate and call dumb policies and extreme policies for what they are. So with that, I'll set aside this notion of Jewish extremism. I'm sure I'll get some response to this. Again, it is consistent with what I have written in my forthcoming book. I'm trying to ask the question about whether or not all faiths are capable of acts of violence, and the answer simply is yes. I have yet to come across a faith that I've studied in any kind of depth, although I'm sure there are some out there, in which it is, in, it is impossible to carry out acts of violence. I think that religion, like anything else, is an ideology. It's a way of thinking. It's a worldview. And we know that terrorism is an act of serious violence that is urged, inspired, motivated, demanded by an ideology. Religion is a subset of ideology. So I think it is fair to ask the question if, in fact, religions can be responsible for violence, and in the case of Israel, whether Judaism can be responsible for, for violence, the answer is yes. Before I leave you in this podcast, I want to remind you that uh, not the next podcast, but the podcast after in early August, I would like to have this as a uh, question and answer program. So if you have any questions that you about terrorism in general that you'd love to have me weigh in on, or if you want to... Um, challenge something I've said in the, in the previous podcast. This is podcast number 13. I'd like you to leave your suggestions on the Twitter account, uh, in the Intelligent Look at Podcast Twitter account, or you can certainly get in touch with me directly. What do you want to know about? What is it about terrorism that has puzzled you? What aspects of this phenomenon do you want to see explored in some kind of detail? Uh, nothing is off the table. I certainly uh, will entertain any, any possible question. We'll see what the response is. Uh, hopefully some of you will give me some ideas what to talk about. So again, this is the podcast planned for early August. It's going to be a Ask Phil on Terrorism podcast. So send me your ideas. So that's it for podcast number 13. As usual, you can reach me in a multiple formats. You can leave comments uh, after the podcast itself. You can reach me on email at borealisaves, sorry, um, borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Borealis Saves or at the po the uh, Twitter account for the podcast itself. You can reach me on LinkedIn or on Facebook as well. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Please give me your feedback. Until next time, stay safe.